A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. First, the usual housekeeping. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud or whatever app you listen to the podcast on. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you do want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what we do, then please do head along to iTunes and give us a review and tell all your friends about it. Now, a little over 34 years ago, a 15-year-old girl died after giving birth at a grotto in the small town of Granard in County Longford on a freezing wet day in 1984. That girl, Anne Lovett, would have turned 50 a few days ago. Irish Times journalist Rosita Boland has written about Anne's death in the past, but recently she wrote an excellent in-depth article for this paper about Anne's life, her death and its aftermath, in which she spoke to people who lived in the town at the time which is no mean feat because that for long has been just nothing but silence. You're going to hear from Rosita shortly, but I just want to read a piece from that article she wrote before we get started. Anne took the scissors out of her school bag, leaving the bag near the entrance. Sometime between 12.45pm and 4pm, she lay down beside the workhouse chapel railings, removed her underwear and gave birth in the rain. She cut the umbilical cord with the scissors she had brought from home and wrapped her dead baby in her coat. He was full term and weighed six and a half pounds. Then she lay down again on the wet, mossy gravel in her school uniform in the persistent rain, without her coat, her body beginning to go into irreversible shock. Rosita, that is the horrific scene which unfolded in Granite in 1984. Can you remind our listeners about the circumstances surrounding Anne Lovett's death? So Anne Lovett, who would have turned 50 on the 6th of April this year, um, she was 15 years of age at the time in on the 31st of January 1984. She lived in Granard, County Longford. And on the 31st of January in 1984, she didn't go to school that day. It was a very cold and a very wet day. And she wasn't missed from school by her classmates or her teachers. She didn't go home for lunch and... She was found by three boys who were coming home from Granard Tech School at about four o'clock that afternoon at the grotto, which was adjoining St. Mary's Church at the at one end of Main Street. Granard is really composed of just Main Street is pretty much the only street. And they saw a school bag at the entrance. They went inside because the school bag was abandoned. They were curious and they found Anne on her back um, in her wet uniform with a dead baby boy wrapped in her coat not far from her. And she died in Mullingar Hospital later that same day. So the circumstances are really quite grotesque of how she 
died. They're gothic. And there are so many reasons why the story has reverberated for the last 34 years. And Because apparently Rosita, very, very few people knew she was pregnant, which is extraordinary. She managed to carry a child to full term, a child of normal weight, uh, and very few people knew she was pregnant. Well, the baby was six and a half pounds and was full term. And it emerged at the inquest that several people, in fact, did know she was pregnant. She told her best friend on the 27th of December in 1983, her friend Mary Maguire, she had told her that she was pregnant. Now, she didn't tell her friend how many months pregnant she was. And that's possibly because she didn't know herself. And... There, she attended school right up until the day she gave birth and the nuns later gave a statement. They said that it was well known that they consulted lawyers before they made the statement and there is a difference between suspecting and knowing in legal terms. Uh, one is a material fact and the other isn't. So their statement was quite carefully phrased that uh, had they known that she was pregnant, they would have... Uh, seen that she got the help that she needed. But I suppose one of the many dreadful things about the story is that we almost never knew anything about it at all. And the only reason we know about the story is that she and Lovett and her baby, Pat, who was given the baptismal name of Pat, were dead and buried before most people in Ireland knew anything of her name and the circumstances. So an anonymous call was made to the news desk at uh, the Longford Leader the week that she was, the week that she died. And we, regional papers come out once a week and their deadline had already passed. So when that caller saw that the story wasn't in the local paper, because I'm quite sure it was the same person, and one of the reporters who covered the story at the time told me that he has no way of proving it, but thinks it was a local guard from Granard made those two calls. Um, when the story didn't appear in the local paper, he then contacted the Sunday Tribune newsroom and then the story broke on the Sunday, but that was two days after her funeral. It's just totally by chance that we know her story and her name. And Rosita, was that just an Irish village just just closing ranks or what was it? It was all those things. It, the, the priest stood up in the pulpit a week after the story broke and said that it was basically that they, the community had been betrayed by whoever um, had spread the scandal to Dublin, that it should have stayed local, it should have stayed parochial, um, but that God was good and would triumph over evil reporting. So there was this, I mean, it sounds extraordinary, like something that you would invent, but this is what he actually said. And of course, it brought... It, co it couldn't but bring associated shame upon the community. And there was some uh, irresponsible reporting at the time. And people, local people, obviously felt uh, very um, angry by the way they were treated. They were, I'm sure that they were incredibly upset about what had happened Um but the thing is, it still continues to this day because when I revisited the story, I tried to get people living in Granard and who are from Granard but no longer living there to talk to me about it. And most of them said no. 
Was it unusual, Rosita? I mean, we all know of cases, obviously, where women, hundreds of thousands of women probably went to England into mother and baby homes. The whole point was to hide the pregnancy. Was this unusual? Was there unusual speculation around it? When when it said there was un, there, there was irresponsible reporting, was that related to speculation about the identity of the father? Or was it simply because a 15-year-old child had a baby and therefore it had sex? It was everything. It was all of those things. It was uh, being a schoolgirl, being pregnant, nobody seeming to notice, although the rumour mill would indicate some something else. And then when it came to giving evidence at the inquest, it was clear that, that several people did know. Um, it was the circumstances of where she went to give birth at the grotto, which is, again, just so gothic. I think it's possible that she was probably there in the morning as well because she wasn't at home. She wasn't at school. She wasn't with friends. She wasn't seen on the streets of Granard, which at that time had a population of less than 1,300 people. Yeah, she was last seen at what time that morning? She was at, She was last seen when she went to visit. She was definitely seen by a neighbour at 8.30 in the morning who ironically was returning from mass and she was then seen at sometime between noon and 12.30 by her friend Mary Maguire on Moxham Street which was a couple of minutes away from her home and at the church end of Granard and the fact that she wasn't seen in between 8.30 and when she went to see her friend where was she? I think she might have been we'll never know but she may have been already up at the grotto. And her mother had seen her at shortly after eight o'clock in the morning in the bathroom. So it's possible that her waters had broken that morning, which is why she didn't go to school. Um, she'd been to see a GP who had diagnosed shingles in the last few months. She saw a GP twice in November and the second time three weeks apart and the second time she was then seven months pregnant so he gave evidence at the inquest and he said that she was presenting for the the condition she was presenting for didn't require him to take any specimens, i.e. a urine sample, and that he did not he did not know that she was pregnant. And the next time that doctor saw her was when she was dying at the grotto, having given birth because he was called to the grotto by one of the people who uh, were called there by the three boys who found her. Basically, Rosita, what distinguished this case from all the other tragic cases of girls getting pregnant? Was it the manner of her death? It was the manner of her death. It was the fact that the identity of the father has always been a mystery. Um... There was a compounded tragedy for the family in that her younger sister died by suicide three months later. The family have never to this day spoken to the media, so we really don't know what went on in that house and that family. And it was it was a case that I think horrified convulsed the country. It's probably there really isn't strong enough language. Uh, to describe it. And also it's the context of the time because the Kerry Babies case was so close to it. And 
I suppose the message for, like, I was a teenager at the time that this, the Anne Lovett story broke, as well as the Kerry babies. And obviously myself and my peers talked about it constantly. And somewhere in us, we ingested this horrendous message that if you were, the worst thing you could be in Ireland was to be a teenage girl and pregnant and not married because you might end up dead like Anne Lovett or you might end up in a stand like Joanne Hayes. And I'm quite sure that that has that lodged in all of our consciousness. And so it has uh, entered societal consciousness in in many, many ways. Everything about it was just dreadful. And of course, this was compounded maybe by uh, Gay Byrne uh, and a particular uh, morning show he ran at the time where he read out reams of letters from people about concealed pregnancies. Well, two days after the inquest, the Gay Byrne show devoted their entire programme to reading out letters which they had received from women about concealed pregnancies. And uh, since my article ran, I've had uh, an email from John Cadden, who worked on the show at the time, and he told me that they were actually, they only read out a tiny fraction of what they received. He said they received two sackfuls of letters, which is uh, an extraordinary number of letters. I mean, that has to be hundreds, thousands to, to fill two sacks. And the show, again, is, is a landmark show. Some people think that it was his finest um, moment in, in radio broadcasting, Gay Byrne. Everybody remembers it. It's often replayed. It was an opportunity for people whose stories hadn't been heard to finally be heard. And it also showed that a concealed pregnancy, a secret pregnancy, was by no means just confined to the case of of Anne Lovett, that there were hundreds of other women who had horrendous stories to tell. Now, it came also, apart from the Kerry Babies thing, there was another another, uh, hugely significant event had taken place the year before, Rosita, which was the uh, 1983 referendum which brought the Eighth Amendment into, into the Constitution. Um, did you, was there any connection at all? Did you find any connection at all? Was that, was that part of the, of the reaction? Or was that mentioned at all in the context of Anne Lovett's tragedy? Because of the closeness in time between these three events, the referendum, the uh, Kerry Baby's case and Anne Lovett, they sometimes they are uh, referred to together. But if Granard was a small town where everybody knew your business, very few people had even had landlines. I don't know, where would you go for information? You'd have to go to the public phone box. Abortions cost money. I mean, there has been many people saying if this had been available, this would have she would have been able to avail of it with help. But considering that she apparently didn't confide to anybody in her family, she was a teenager, she didn't have money. How would you get from Granard to London at the age of 15 and nobody noticed you were gone? Where would you get the money? How would you find out what was happening? So I suppose Rosita was a tightening of the noose at the same time. It was it was it was putting a nail into that, into any idea of that kind of information being disseminated for young girls like that. There wasn't a hope in hell of that information reaching her for a start. No, no. And a week later, the parish priest put on the notice board a 
small uh, notice for uh, an organisation if any young girls found themselves pregnant. I think it was Cura. I'm not quite sure, but he did make a point of putting that up on the board a week after her death. Where did people go? I mean, she was not the only person. And when I was researching the story, I found um, a report from 10 years later that there were three, three more children, babies who'd been found abandoned and only one mother ever came forward. So we'll never know what happened to the other two. And that was in 1994. That was 10 years after Anne Lovett died. Rosita, there were calls for an inquiry into Anne's death. Uh, it never materialised. You did a lot of digging into that end of things. What did you find? Almost nothing. And I think that the, I think that one of the myths that has hung around this case for a very long time is a public perception that there are se- there's a secret there are secret papers somewhere that there was an in depth inquiry and that there's all this information that we were never given about the circumstances of her family life and her death. And that's actually not true. Um, There were two state papers released uh, two years ago, and they were, each of them were single page documents, and they referred to cabinet meetings which had taken place the week that the story broke. And I talked to uh, Barry Desmond, who had been, he's now 82, he had been Minister for Health at the time, and he was privy to the discussions that went on there was no, there was no overreaching. Nuala Fennell did uh, call for an inquiry on the Sunday, the day the Sunday Tribune came out, um, regardless of whose sensibilities would be hurt, as she put it. But that inquiry never happened because it was decided at that meeting two days after the story broke that there would be an inquest instead of an inquiry. So there was an inquest and it was held in public and it was it was reported and in fact. That's almost as much information as there is in the public domain, the newspaper reporting at the time. The Midlands Health Board did, um, they did uh, have a report and that was made public. Basically, they checked to see what services she had accessed. Had she accessed any of the services and she had not. So that never even made it to Barry Desmond. He never saw it. He also told me that the archives in the 1980s were complete and utter shambles. We do know that the guards um, sent a file, the Granard guards did some kind of some kind of reporting and that file was sent to the coroner, Patrick Mangan. So he definitely saw it. I tried to find out what happened to that file. I contacted the press office. They told me that it, they had no idea if they had it or not. And that even if they did somewhere in their archives, that it didn't qualify as a state document and nor did it come under freedom of information. So there would be no way of of getting it. But I was told unofficially by somebody who's familiar with the way these things would have worked is that it's very likely that whatever copy was held in Granard Garda Station, which would have been handwritten, I'm guessing, was destroyed a long time ago. And that since there was no crime uh, that a copy of it wouldn't ever have made it to Dublin. What do you think was the focus of their investigation? Would it have been statutory rape or 
What do you think it was? Has well, it for one thing, there was a, a dead body in a public area. The, the Her her baby was uh, dead in a public place. And that is what really should have happened is that the body was left there because that was a crime scene. Now, obviously, because the circumstances were so unusual, that wasn't going to happen. They had to try and get Anne Lovett to a hospital as soon as possible. And the baby was taken with her. So... Uh, that necessitates a Garda investigation straight away when there is a dead body in a public place. They would have, uh, I'm certain, they would have interviewed her family, perhaps school teachers, friends, people who would have come into her circle. At the inquest, um, the inspector from the Granard station, PJ Colloran, he read out um, Patricia Lovett's statement, that was Anne's mother, he read out her statement on her behalf. And has there ever been any indication as to who the father was, Rosita? Is that rumour still swirling around or did you hit a blank wall with that? Or have you your own theories? I'm not asking you to tell me what they are, but do you have your own theories? She definitely had a boyfriend uh, who was older than her. That Many people have told me that. I've also received many emails since the the piece came out and we can say with certainty that she she did have an older boyfriend whether he was the father of the child or not I don't know and I can't answer Mm. that Mm. Um, You spoke to some people from Granite who lived there when Anne Lovett died which can I say as a fellow journalist was quite an achievement because I think we've all we've all sort of had a look at this story and we've all backed off from it for various reasons. But you actually went straight in there and you did get some people to talk to you. How did you manage that? Was it very difficult? It was very difficult. I approached lots of people. I used every uh, journalist kind of method I had. Uh, reached out to some people that I knew. I was trying to get an in, I suppose, all the time. And people did try to help me, but most people that they contacted on my behalf just did not want to talk to me. And I was also given a couple of phone numbers of people who had been peers of Anne in her class, but they refused to take my calls. And so how I got the two people that I did uh, speak to in the end was obviously I was researching everything that was in the public arena. And for the 30th anniversary of her death, Maynooth University held a evening where they invited um, Katrina Crow, a couple of other people. It was chaired by um, a professor there. And the whole thing was videoed. And so it was basically about the Anne Lovett's death 30 years on, what it meant. And so I looked at the whole thing, which was two hours and five minutes or so before the end. Two people make themselves known and said that they had been at school with Anne. So I then contacted the the professor, um, Sinead Kennedy. I asked her, had those people made themselves known to her at the end of the evening? And she knew one of them and not the other and obviously couldn't pass on any information in terms of contact details. But 
I did have one name, so I tracked that person down on social media and she contacted me. And the other person, I had a call out um, on social media and the other person came to me that way. What picture developed of this of this young girl talking to people? How, how, how did she look? How did she seem? Was she cheerful? Was she a sad person? Was she popular? Well, one of the reasons I really wanted to do the story, well, there are many, many reasons, but one was I wanted to make her more than the circumstance of her death. I wanted to give her some kind of character and personality and that she was a real person and not just this defined by the horrific thing that happened to her at the end of her life. So she was extremely uh, popular. She was pretty. She wasn't wasn't very tall. She apparently flew around Granard on her bike. Um, she was full of personality. She loved drawing. She it was a kind of a fashion in the 1980s that you girls would do all these tight plaits in their hair and keep them in for some days and then let them all out and be like this mad kind of curly halo. And that the people that I spoke to who knew her said that she was very independent and strong minded. And it was really great to try and learn more about her because that she was she had a mind of her own and she was a, a character and a personality and doesn't sound like somebody who was passive in any way. And uh, she was a kick ass girl, as one interviewee said to me. Um, what happened to her family? They they had run a pub in Granard, which I think was open and shut at odd hours and that sort of thing. Did it close down pretty soon after that, Rosita? Or are they still there? Are their family members still in Granard? Well, the pub didn't open very much and I'm not sure when it closed, but it's, it's, it's no longer, uh, you know, it's closed very many years ago as a, as a pub. Her sister died by suicide three months later and her father died um, three years later in 1987. Her mother died in June. It'll be three years this June. Um, There are still a couple of family members who are living around and in the county. Some of them are abroad. And her sister, her one remaining sister, Louise Lovett, is actually um, in the public eye and has a high profile. She is the CEO of Longford uh, Women's Link. Yeah, which is she's a fine organisation. I've, I've, I've Absolutely. And she's a board member of the National Council of Women in Ireland and also board member of Safe Ireland. And I did uh, I did ask if I could interview her, but she did not respond. It's interesting that her career has taken her into that area of women's rights, isn't it? I think she'd be a fantastic interviewee in her own right, actually. Maybe sometimes she will talk to us. Um after all that, Rosita, are you full of anger? Are you full of, are you very sad? What do, you, what do you think, what additional material has come out of this for you? Well, I think that by piecing together the last day, people have a much clearer idea of the context of, of what happened at the time. And that there's also, you know, the longer the time elapses, facts get lost and a lot of people would have thought of her simply as the girl who died at the grotto giving birth but she didn't die there she died in Mulgar Hospital I mean that's a a fact and there was so much more to her than that and she actually 
I think the thing that in the course of my research that most um, moved me and struck me as utterly gothic was that at one point there were six men standing over her. Um, There was her father, her brother, there was the priest, there was the doctor and there were a passerby and a neighbour who the boys had gone to for help. So at one point there were six men standing over her in the grotto looking at her as she was covered in the blankets. And that is, it's, it's just an image that I can't get out of my head. That's the one that stuck with you, is it? Yes. You also discovered uh, that she had named her baby. That, that was in a, a news report in the Longford News at the time. And I, I anybody can, uh, any member of the public can apply for to buy birth and death certs. So I did that for her birth and death cert. And on her birth cert, there was her middle name, which we had never known before, which is Rose. And there was the address the family had been living at in Cove at the time and her mother's maiden name and her father's occupation. Those are documents in the public domain that anybody can um, apply for and, and buy. So Anne Rose Lovett. Anne Rose Lovett, that was her full name. Mother of Pat. Mother of Pat. And it was just one news report at the time. Uh, A reporter in the Longford News had found out what the baby, the baby had been baptised. And I suppose when I thought about it, it, it made complete sense because the baby was going to be buried in Christian ground. It needed to have name and be baptised so all of those things added up. I got in contact with the reporter, asked him how he knew um, he had he knew people in Granard this was this was the this was he was assured that this was the name that had been given to the child so again it's it's putting a it's making it less than a statistic it's not just Anne Lovett and a dead baby, it's Anne Rose Lovett and her stillborn son Pat On that note, Rosita Boland, thank you so much for telling us about Anne Lovett. Well, there's very little more to be said, really. I think that's one of the saddest stories we've ever had on the Women's Podcast. It's old, but my goodness, it's topical. Thank you to my guest today, Rosita Boland. Today's podcast was produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan, with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan, and until next time, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.